Our speaker today, I, we say he's a guest speaker, but really he's not a guest so much. If you've been around New Life any amount of time, then you have actually heard him speak here. He did a day yesterday on spiritual warfare. There were about 250 folks in attendance, and it was a great opportunity to kind of introduce what he's going to do today. Um, and Dr. Warburn is the VP of and Dean of Alliance Theological Seminary and Nyack College. Um, and so he has many credentials, but I think for me, the greatest thing that I have I've witnessed in him over these years as I've heard him speak is that he has a heart for healing and wholeness in the body of Christ. And that's a blessing. And so I just want you to give him a warm welcome, Dr. Ronald Wahlberg. Well, good afternoon, New Life. Um, I, I did want to uh, introduce you to my wife, Wanda. Would you stand? Wanda is the Director of Spiritual Formation at Nyack. And yesterday was our 34th wedding anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was doing a Korean retreat last summer, and I, I said, yeah, I've been married 33 years. And they all started cheering, and I went, 10 years to the first wife, seven years to the second. <laughs> And they all went, oh, I went, I'm just kidding. My humor wasn't cross-cultural. Um, anyhow, hey, I was, I was really delighted to hear about uh, what your church is doing in Puerto Rico and that report. That was great, Matt. Um, we have a campus in Puerto Rico, and I'd appreciate your prayers uh, because they were shut down along with everybody else uh, after the hurricanes hit. Uh, but we were able to raise money for them. We raised about $50,000 and got them a generator and within two weeks, the seminary started classes again after Maria. And they had started with record enrollment, 212 students. And our director down there, Julio Aponte, said, uh, we can't lose this year. These are men and women being trained for ministry. And we recaptured 188 of the 212. They were able to finish the school year. And so uh, thanks for your prayers for ATS in Puerto Rico. Um, the other thing I want to mention is that it's been kind of a rough week for me. It's, it's been hard because last Sunday, my father, who was 93, was promoted to heaven. And, uh, and so this has been a week where I've uh, had to say goodbye and celebrate his life. My dad was my hero, an incredible man of God, uh, retired pastor. I found out at his funeral that he had just led a woman to the Lord this summer and was discipling her. And so he never stopped. Even at the age of 93, he was pouring out his life for the kingdom. And on, on Wednesday, uh, we were getting ready for his wake, and we were down in, in Butler, Pennsylvania, down in Western PA, and I decided the family needed a Starbucks break, and so I was getting together in my hotel room, and I needed a shirt to wear, and there was a pile of my dad's clothes, and so I grabbed one of his shirts, and I threw on his shirt, and I headed out in the car to Starbucks. Well, as I was driving to Starbucks, a powerful thing happened. I caught a scent of my father. You know, the shirt smelled like him. And if you know, your olfactory, your, your sense of smell is very connected to memory. And so I'm driving this car weeping, and I'm remembering joyful things, and I'm sad. And I pull up to the drive through window at Starbucks with tears streaming down my face. I wind, wind down my window, and the girl looks in, and she goes, are you okay, sir? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I just caught a scent of my father. And she kind of looked at me weird. <laughs> And I said, I just caught a scent of my father, and I realized he's still with me. And, uh, and she didn't understand. She gave me the coffee. Uh, but you understand. 
And what I'm praying for us today is that we would catch a scent of our Heavenly Father and that our memory would be triggered that we are never alone, that He is with us. Let's pray. So, Father, Your presence is here. The sweet aroma of the manifest presence of God is unmistakable in this place. And so we ask that you would use all of our senses to enjoy the presence and power of an almighty God who is not just almighty, but you are intimate and loving and close and near. And we thank you for how only you could do that, Father. And so we receive everything you have for us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Quite a few years ago when Wanda and I were pastoring out in California, uh, we had a really strong men's ministry and the men of the church noticed that we had a lot of young men ages 12, 13, and 14 that didn't have good father figures. Some of them were in, you know, single mom homes and some of them had fathers that weren't believers. Some of them had fathers that were kind of absentee. And so the men of the church, they put together this discipleship program where if a young man of that age did have a father, we made sure the father was equipped to lead him through a 12-week discipleship program. And and if a young man didn't have a father, we made sure that one of the men adopted him and kind of uh, brought him through that program. And we also had some fun. They took them bowling. They did other things with the the young men. But the older men really poured into that age group during that 12-week period. And when we got to the end of 12 weeks, uh, we did a men's retreat. And we call it we called it Boys to Men, B-O-Y-Z, Two Men. We stole the name from a singing group, I know. And, and we took all these young men off uh, into the mountains of California. And we did seminars on what does it mean to be a man of integrity and what does it mean to be a man with a work ethic and what it, does it mean to be a man with sexual, of sexual purity. And, um, and we had a really incredible weekend. And we closed our weekend with these young men by doing a rites of passage ceremony. And so on Saturday night, the men of the church lined up in the front of the, uh, the auditorium where we were, and they formed what they called a hall of honor. And then the young men would stand at one side, and their father or their mentor would stand at the other and say, Bryce Walborn, you are God's beloved son on whom his favor rests. Come forth into your destiny as a man of God. And then that young man would walk down that hall of honor, and the men of the church would lay hands on him and prophesy over him and prophesy and pray his destiny. It was just incredible. I mean, there was a, wasn't a dry eye in the place as these young men walked through this rites of passage. Well, we were doing this, and one of the men in our church, uh, his name was John Barker. He was about 80 years of age. He was a World War II vet. He was a man's man. He was highly respected. He was one of our elders. He comes up to me, and he said, Ron, I want to walk through that hall of honor. And I said, John, you don't need to walk through the hall of honor. You're one of our elders. You have great spiritual maturity. Everybody respects you. And he got kind of mad. He goes, no, God's not done with me yet. God's got more for me. And there is a new level I want to go to in this next season. And so 80-year-old John Barker stood at the end of that hall. And I stood down and I said, John Barker, you are God's beloved son. Come forth into your destiny as a man of God. And this 80-year-old man walked down and the men of the church prayed over him and prophesied. Well, that that just ruined everything because every man in the church wanted to go through the hall. (laughs) They said, well, if John got to go, we get to go. And, and, and the truth is, we didn't get out of there until 2 o'clock in the morning, okay? Now, we knew that was going to be a powerful night for the young men. What we didn't know is it changed our church. It changed our church because all of a sudden, the men in the church weren't laying back, getting stuck in a rut. 
They were saying, God's got more for me and I am not stopping until I walk in all the fullness that Jesus has for me in my life. And that'll change a whole church. And so today I want to talk to you about the topic that God has more for you. That God has a taste of his presence and he has a power in his Holy Spirit that he wants to release fresh mercy, fresh grace, and a whole new level of encounter with him. God's not done with you. And I want to do a quick pilgrimage through the scripture showing you the progression of the filling of the Holy Spirit throughout the scriptures. Now, I want to intentionally start in the Old Testament because often when we talk about the Holy Spirit, everyone thinks the Holy Spirit just kind of shows up at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is fully God. He is eternal God. He is present before creation, in the midst of creation, and he is certainly present throughout the Old Testament. And so I want to look, first of all, at a passage in Numbers chapter 11, where we find Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt into the Promised Land, and you know the struggles they had on that journey. And so here is a snapshot of a conversation that Moses is having with God. It's called prayer. And, uh, and, and we see some very important things about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Numbers chapter 11, beginning with verse 10, says this. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. And the Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. And he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? You see, what, what Moses is feeling now is the weight of leadership. And, and he gets really honest with God, okay? And if you've been in leadership for longer than 10 minutes, you've prayed this prayer, okay? <laughs> and, and some of you might say, well, I'm not really a leader, but if you're a mom, you're a leader. If you're a dad, you're a leader. If you have friends, they're looking to you for leadership. And the burden of the people can overcome us. And so Moses gets very honest. He says, did I conceive all these people? I love the honesty in his prayer, and I love the sarcasm too, I'll be honest. Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. <laughs> you ever prayed that prayer? <laughs> I'm just glad God doesn't always answer all of our prayers. <laughs> you know. If I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. Well, the Lord responds to Moses and he says this. I've got a solution for you. Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people and have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand with you there. And I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and I'll put it on them, and they will share the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Now, here's a principle that I want you to grab in this passage. Uh, one of the first things we learn about the Holy Spirit is he is given to help you carry the burden of the people. He's given to help you carry the burden of leadership. And see, some of us have believed a lie that God will never give you anything more than you can bear. Well, I'm here to tell you now, that is a lie. God will always give you more than you can bear. Why? Because he wants, like Moses, to drive us to the place where we say, oh God, I can't do this without you. 
Oh God, if you don't help me, I can't carry it alone. And when we do that, we come into the place of intimacy, the place of blessing, the place of anointing, because God loves it when his people recognize that we cannot do it without him. And so what happens next is pretty powerful. Moses told the people what the Lord had said, and he brought 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him, and he put it on the 70 elders. And when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, and they continued to do so. However, there were two men whose names were Eldad and Medad who had remained in the camp, and they were listed among the elders, but they did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. Now, I don't understand these two guys. This is the most important meeting of their lives, and they missed it. And, I mean, we don't know why. Did they sleep in? Were they afraid? Uh, But in the graciousness of God, isn't he incredible? He comes upon them even though they missed the meeting. He pours his Spirit out on them, and they begin to experience this prophetic move of God. Now, what happens next is kind of a study in leadership because you you see two different leadership responses to the Spirit of God being poured out. The first comes from Joshua. The second comes from Moses. What happens next is a young man runs out, tells Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' age since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Make God stop what he's doing. Now, why did he say that? Well, you got to understand the context. In this era, the Holy Spirit was giving, given exclusively to one older Jewish man. That was it. And then there was usually one, one man that was chosen, and he walked alongside him. And when the time came for the old leader to pass, the Spirit would rest on the new leader that was emerging. And now, all of a sudden, all these 70 guys get in front of Joshua. And the Spirit starts to be poured out on not just one man and not just his uh, second in command, but now it's getting a little out of control. And the reality is Joshua is jealous. And he says, you got to get this under control. This is, this is out of control. But I love the response of Moses because Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? And there's no response there, but I think if there were, Joshua would said, actually, I wasn't thinking about you. I was thinking about me. I'm jealous for my sake. And then Moses shows the true nature of spirit-anointed leadership. He says, I wish, and I believe this is a prophecy, I believe it's a prayer, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. And then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Now, friends, this begins a progression And when you see a progression in scripture, it's very important to notice it because the progression is this. Initially, the Holy Spirit was poured out exclusively on one older man. But now the progression is beginning and it's expanding out, not just the one, but the 70. And then Moses says, no, 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 you think this is out of control. I want it to get even more out of control. And he is prophesying and he is praying for what the prophet Joel said The God through him in Joel 2. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Now, I want you to understand how radical this prophecy uh, sounded to the people of Judah. Because the spirit of God only came upon priests and prophets and kings. And that was it. Very exclusive. 
And so what Joel is saying is similar to what Moses is saying. There's moving a progression from exclusivity to inclusivity. I'm going to pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters, your old men, your young men, and then catch this, even on my servants, both men and women. So ladies, I want you to hear hear me for a minute. Sometimes we men in the church, we cherry pick verses that try to keep people in their place. I got to tell you, the progression of God is this. I am pouring out my spirit on the young and on the old. On the young, friends, there is no junior Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can come upon your kids. Your kids can prophesy. Your kids can move in the gifts of the spirit. And ladies, welcome to the party because we need you. We can't get this done without the women of God, anointed by the Holy Spirit, gifted by the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful to be in a church where you're releasing women in the fullness of what God is doing because it fits the progression of God. And so then we get to the New Testament. And Jesus continues this. And at one point, Jesus said, hey, guys, I'm leaving, but it's really better for me to leave. And I can imagine the disciples going, what, Jesus, we love you. What do you mean it's better for you to leave? What Jesus is referring to is he's saying, but I'm going to send my Holy Spirit because I can only be in one place at one moment with one group of people, but when my Spirit comes, he's going to be poured out all over the earth. And so he gathers them in John 20. This is after his death and resurrection, but prior to his ascension. And he says to the disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, what most scholars believe about this is this is the moment of the launching of new covenant regeneration. And let me get a little theological here with you for a minute. If you're a Christian here today, then your spirit has been brought to new life. You've been born again by the inworking of the Holy Spirit. And so there's no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You see, you've been born again. You've been born by the Spirit of God. And in essence, Jesus has breathed on you at the moment of your conversion and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has brought your spirit to new life in Christ. You're a new creation by the Holy Spirit. But I also want to suggest that that's not the end. That's just the beginning. You see, I love it when people give testimonies about their salvation. I love baptism services. But friends, if your salvation story and your baptism moment is the pinnacle of your Christian experience, you're missing something. Because God has more for you. Your salvation is the doorway into the kingdom. And the kingdom has not been tapped in terms of its fullness and greatness that God has for his people. Now let me show you the progression in scripture. Because John 20 happened just shortly after the resurrection. And now as we move down a few weeks, we get to Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, this is shortly before the ascension, Jesus gathers his disciples again. And he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I like to use my sanctified imagination, and I want you to join me for a minute. I want you to picture the disciples sitting there as Jesus says, hey, wait, don't go anywhere. Don't try to do ministry until the Holy Spirit comes upon you because the Holy Spirit's not just given to help you carry the burden of the people. The Holy Spirit's going to be given to help you carry the mission of God, and you can't leave home without it, okay? And that's what he's saying. Don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
So when he says this, I picture Peter turning to John. They're sitting together. And Peter goes, hey, John, what happened back in John 20? Now, there was no John 20 yet. I, I, I get that. I went to seminary, okay? Um, hey, what happened when he breathed on us? He said, receive the Holy Spirit. But now he's saying, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I, I don't understand what's going on. And, and I, I picture John kind of going, yeah, well, I don't have it all figured out theologically yet. That's why I'm going to wait 40 years before I write my gospel. Um, <laughs> That and because uh, I want all you guys to be dead so that I can refer to myself as the disciple who Jesus loved. <laughs> That's my theory on that one, okay? No one left to argue. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, but I, I, I sense, you know, he turns to Peter and he goes, you know what? I think Jesus wants us leaning in for the things of the Spirit. And I don't think Jesus ever wants us to get stuck in an experience in John 20 or an experience 20 years ago or 30 years ago, I think the posture of our life has to be leaning in saying, God, I am thankful for the experiences that I had in the past, but I am ready for a fresh anointing in 2018. See, the Holy Spirit wants to fill us. And when the Holy Spirit comes, I want to remind you, he comes to help you carry the burden of the people to help you carry the mission of God, to empower you, all of you, subsequent to salvation, and to move us from exclusivity to inclusivity. And now in Acts, it starts to break out. And we get to one of our favorite passages. is in Acts chapter 2. I call this the Shazam Wowie moment of the early church, okay? That's not a theological term, but it works for me, all right? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's a wonderful passage. But the problem is, is there's two misunderstandings of this passage that are very common. The one misunderstanding is people read this and they get a little nervous about all the wildfire. And they say, you know what? Acts chapter 2 was a one-time experience, and we never have to expect that to happen again. And so there's people that are very afraid of the Holy Spirit. I call them pneumophobic. They're afraid of the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, now, there's other people that are pneumomaniacs. Uh, they're a little crazy about the Holy Spirit. I get that, all right? And, and both those misunderstandings happen here because there's some people that say, no, 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 it happened once, it'll never happen again. What they're missing is, it happens again in Acts chapter 4. Some of the same people that get filled in Acts chapter 2 get filled in Acts chapter 4. And then they get filled again and again and again all through Acts. Why? Because it's not just a one-time experience. God's Holy Spirit has fresh wind for you today. So that's the first misunderstanding. But the second misunderstanding is this. There are some people that think, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit will always look just like that. And if you haven't experienced God like that, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And friends, I want you to know, sometimes he comes like a mighty rushing wind, but sometimes he comes like a gentle dove. See, sometimes he comes like tongues of fire, but sometimes he comes like a quiet whisper. And we are not to have an agenda as to what it's going to look like. We're just to say, God, we want everything you have. Let me give you an example. Um, 
In my church where I attend up in Rockland County, we have three services like you guys do on a Sunday morning. And it's my practice uh, to have my family uh, attend either the first or the second service, especially in the fall of the year. And I want to tell you why. Because my pastor, who I dearly love, he's one of my best friends, in the first service, he knows the second service is coming, so he can't preach too long. In the second service, he knows the third service is coming, and so he has to keep his sermon short. In the third service, he knows there's no fourth service coming. So he just lets it go. And when he lets it go, I always miss the kickoff at one o'clock. Because Okay, we got a few football fans here. So this one Sunday, I couldn't get my family up and moving, and sure enough, uh, we, were, we ended up in the third service. It starts at 11.30. And I, I got to confess, I went to church with a really bad attitude because the Steelers were kicking off at 1 o'clock, and I'm a big Steelers fan, all right? No booze, all right? Uh, no, stop, stop, stop. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So that's good. And so I went to church with a bad attitude. And so we're there, 1130, and, and uh, man, I'm standing there as the worship is going on, and I have my hands in my pocket, and I'm chewing gum, and I'm not singing, and I'm not happy. And, uh, and our worship leader gets all anointed. He, he starts repeating verses, you know. <laughs> I could sing of your love forever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> and so I, you know, I'm irritated. <sighs> We're never going to get out of here, you know. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I, I look over, and my wife is standing next to me. And I look at her, and she's got tears running down her face, and she's got her hands up. And I look past her, and there's my daughter, and just she's trembling with the presence of the Lord. And I went, oh, Lord, you're here. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> I remembered those verses about do not grieve the Holy Spirit, do not quench the Holy Spirit. I went, oh God, I'm so sorry. And I repented. But I looked around and I saw that there were some people saying, yes, we welcome you. And there were other people standing just like me with their hands in their pocket. And all of a sudden the thought hit me, what would happen if we reached a tipping point of people saying, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit. You see, we individualize the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but in Scripture, it's groups of people that get filled. It's groups of people that get baptized. And so that day, as I said, Lord, uh, I care more about you and your presence than any football game. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Now, we didn't experience Acts chapter 2, tongues of fire, but I believe every time we gather together, it's an opportunity for a fresh baptism, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look what Peter says next because he tries to explain this to the crowds in Jerusalem because when people get filled, there's a change in them. People will know something happened. It's not always the same evidence, but there will be evidence that the power of God has come upon you. And so he stands up and he says to the 11 and to the whole crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. You see, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, it's going to change the atmosphere of your life. It's going to change you. People are going to notice what happened to you. 
And, and so I, I think when the Spirit of God comes upon us, we should get shirts that say, it's 9 o'clock somewhere, Acts 2.15. <laughs> and if you're getting that, it's because you not only know Scripture, you like Jimmy Buffett, but that's another sermon, okay? And so he says, no, 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 these people aren't drunk. This is what Joel was talking about. That in the last days, my spirit's going to be poured out on the sons and the daughters, on young men, on old men, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Then he goes on and he says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And and then he says this, he adds that this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So what he's saying is, I know some of you, your kids aren't here, but it's for your kids too. And, And I know some of you, you have relatives in distant lands, it's for them too. And it's not just for those who are geographically far off, I think it's for those who are chronologically far off. What he's saying is, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for Queens in 2018. It's for today. It's for today. See, the disciples, the other thing is they didn't hoard this gift like they were the only special people to get it. They freely gave it and imparted the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who believe. Exclusivity to inclusivity. Oh, Lord, raise up pastors that know how to give it away. Raise up pastors who release and empower the people of God. Raise up pastors who don't hoard and say, stop it. I'm thankful for the leadership of New Life. You have a long history of pastors that know how to release the people of God. Well, one last passage, and then I'll close. In Acts chapter 8, notice this inclusivity gets a little crazy. The apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. Now understand, Samaria is where there were Jews who had intermarried with people of other faiths and they were syncretistic and so they were hated by good Jews. But you know what? The gospel penetrates this region. And they received the gospel. They accepted the word of God. And so the disciples sent Peter and John to Samaria and when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you might go back to what I taught. Did they have the Holy Spirit if they were believers? They did. They had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They had the regeneration power of the Holy Spirit. But the disciples knew that your baptism, your salvation, is not the end of the work of the Holy Spirit. He also wants to come upon you to empower you. You see, so they prayed for them. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Bottom line is this. God has more for you. God has more for you. In 1986, my wife and I were getting ready to start ministry in our first church in Connecticut. And that summer, I said to her, we can't start ministry without a fresh work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we went to a Bible camp in the middle of Pennsylvania where we heard that there was a preacher that was going to preach on the filling of the Holy Spirit. And and so we went to this Bible conference and sure enough, this guy preached on the filling of the Holy Spirit. And when he got to the end of his sermon, I grabbed my wife by the hand. It was in July of 1986 and we ran to the altar and we knelt down at the altar and this man came up to us and he said, "Uh, what would you like me to pray for? And I said, my wife and I are starting ministry next month and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, okay. And he laid his hands on us and he prayed a very simple prayer. Uh, Jesus, now fill them with your Holy Spirit. Amen. And he started to walk away. And as he started to walk away, I went, hey. 
And he looked back and I go, am I filled? <laughs> and he said, yeah, you're filled. I go, is she filled? She go, he goes, yeah, she's filled too. I go, are you sure? Because I didn't feel anything, okay? He goes, no, 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 no. You receive the things of God by faith, okay? Now, friends, I know we receive the things of God by faith. But the old timers understood you don't get up from that altar until you know he's met you. And this guy was so afraid of wildfire that there was no fire at all. I, th I think he was afraid we'd start speaking in tongues or something. And so he was like, no, 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 no evidence. Just receive it by faith. Well, you know, we, we criticize people that do the health wealth thing where they walk around, they're sick, and they go, I'm healed in Jesus' name. You ever met people like that? And I, I always want to say, okay, if you're healed, then stay over there till the penny drops because right now you're contagious, okay? <laughs> See, we do receive the things of God by faith, but don't say it happened until you know that he's met you. So the next day, Wanda and I got in this big argument, big fight. I'm sure it was my fault, but we're fighting, we're yelling back and forth. And I looked at her and in the middle of the fight, I said, nothing happened to you last night. <laughs> and, and don't feel bad for her because she gave it right back to me. She said, nothing happened to you either. And I said, I know. But starting in July, we started our ministry in August and we began to seek God and say, God, there's got to be more. And by February of 1987, I was so desperate for God, uh, we still hadn't been met the way we knew he had more for us. And in February, I ended up at a conference in, in California where they were focusing on the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. And so on the first night of the conference, on a Monday night, I went forward for prayer. And I'm standing there in the front, and Wanda wasn't able to go with me. I was alone at this conference, and I stood at the conference, and this guy came up to me, and he had a badge on it that said, Ministry Team Member. And uh, his name was Joe. And he comes up to me and he said, well, son, are you ready to be filled with the love of the Father? And I went, yep, I'm ready. And he goes, nah, you're not ready. <laughs> Come back tomorrow. Maybe I'll pray for you tomorrow. And he goes to the next person. And so I walk back to my seat, okay? So the next night I go forward for prayer. Man, I'm hungry. God, I've been waiting since July of 86 and it's February of 87. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hungry for God. So I go forward. He comes up to me. Joe, ministry team member. Are you ready to be filled with the love of the Father? Yep, I'm ready. He goes, nah, you're not ready. <laughs> he walks away from me. I was ready to punch this guy. <laughs> to prove that I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. You know? <laughs> you, know. you know, I'm like, hey, give me something here. At least pray for me to get ready, you know? Who trained you? How'd you get a badge, you know? So that happens Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Every night this guy comes up to me. Are you ready to be filled with the love of the Father? Yep. No, nah, you're not ready. Finally, Friday night. It's the last night of the conference. I'm going back to Connecticut the next day, all right? I got to have something. So I go forward and I'm actually hiding behind people, hoping Joe wouldn't find me. <laughs> oh, Lord, give me anybody but that guy Joe. But sure enough, Joe shows up. And Joe looks at me. Folks, this was over 31 years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday. He looks at me and he says, are you ready to be filled with the love of the Father? Now, I don't know what happened from Monday till Friday. I don't know what happened from July till that moment. I don't know what God was doing to get me ready, but I know this. Sometimes we want God to act like a microwave, but God likes to get us ready, and he likes to prepare us. 
And when he asked me on Friday night, are you ready to be filled with the love of the Father? When I went to say yes, I broke and I just started to sob. I, I can feel the emotion as deep as I did 31 years ago. And he went, ah, you're ready. And he put his arms around me. Now, please hear me. What I'm about to share with you is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's one of the mistakes we make. We have an encounter with God, and then we prescribe our experience on everyone else. And he loves to touch us all differently. Don't prescribe it. Describe it. But when he touched me that night, it was like he pulled the top of my head off, and it was like an ocean of his love just came flooding in. And I stood there, and I laughed, and I cried for about an hour as the father just poured his love into me. I flew home the next day. I got off the airplane, and Wanda looked at me, and she goes, what happened to you? I go, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. She goes, do we believe in that? I go, we do now. It's amazing how an encounter with God will change your theology, you know? Well, that summer, Wanda and I went back, because we thought God lived in California. Wasn't much happening in Connecticut. It was kind of a dry and thirsty land in those days, you know. And so we flew out to California because God lived there. And uh, we go to this conference, and here we meet Joe and his wife. And Joe and his wife said, we're going to pray for you as a married couple that you'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Joe got behind me, and Sue got behind Wanda, and they prayed over us, and heaven came down on our marriage. Now, some of you might say, well, where's that in Scripture? But I want to remind you, that in scripture, it's not just individual people that are getting filled, it's groups of people. So I have a theology for a baptism of the Spirit on marriages. I have a theology for a baptism of the Spirit on families. And wouldn't it be wonderful if New Life got a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit today? If he did it before, he can do it again. If he did it in others, he can do it in us. Will you stand with me? Yes, Lord. Lord, this morning we welcome you and we thank you that you're here in this place. And Lord, uh, every single one of us, we want to lean in and we want to declare, God, you've got more for me. We want to thank you for the work that you did in our lives last year. We want to thank you for all the testimonies we have about our salvation, our baptism. But Lord, I thank you that you have now ushered us in to a new creation experience. That eternal life doesn't start when we die. It's not a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. And it's here now. So in the name of Jesus Christ, I bless New Life Fellowship with a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Come, Spirit of God, wash over your people. And I thank you that you know exactly where every person is in this place. For some of you, you're feeling a little bit of a mighty rushing wind. For some of you, it's a gentle dove. For some of you, he's still getting you ready, like he was me. You're maybe on a Monday through Thursday moment where you may not know what's going on, but the Lord is preparing the way. But Jesus, we just declare, we trust you. And we want you to do the fullness of your work in us. But as for us, we will be leaning in and we will be expecting more and we will never get stuck. And we just say thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.
and then we'll, we'll share some closing thoughts, okay? So everyone, it's time for worship.
so we can hear a message like this and we can take it a couple of different ways. There's some of you here that you're ready, you, you're, you're on board, you're just waiting for God to take you to this new place and do this new thing in your lives. And then there's some of you that are saying, hey, you know what? I've been here before. I've heard this before. Nothing has happened for me. Nothing has changed for me. And so this is probably for other people. This is not for me. So what I want to tell you is each and every one of you, you are children of the living God. Don't just look at your neighbor and see, oh, I see the presence of God in them. I know Jesus loves them. You need to see yourself as that person. You need to see yourself as the one that Christ died for. It's you. It's you. Each and every one of you. You are the beloved of the living God. So receive it. It it comes to us in different ways. Some people are feeling things right now. And you're sensing his presence coming over you. Some of you are feeling nothing. But neither one is right. He's coming to you. It may show up tomorrow, it may show up next month, it may show up next year, and next year you'll be reminded that this is what I did in your life in August of last year. God can do that as well. He doesn't make mistakes, and he doesn't fail to meet us. He is a covenant-keeping God. This is your day to hear this message. So even if your body doesn't feel any different, receive it and say, God, I'm not sure, but I'm open. I'm open. And we're going to have prayer teams over here to my left. We're going to have a communion table over to my right. Some of you need to just come up and just stand before somebody and say, hey, you know what, God, can you just give me the desire to have the desire to seek you more? It's okay to have that prayer. Because whatever you, he'll freely give to you if you ask him for that. If you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, that is a prayer he has promised. He has promised he will answer. So don't leave until you come up and receive prayer for that. Or if you need to come and have communion and kind of solidify what God is doing in you right now, then if you come up here, Milagros and Hefty will be here to administer communion to you. So I'm going to ask you to extend your hands for a blessing. And again, we do this at New Life because we're all aware, especially of those of us in in busy, busy cities, we know there's a lot of cursing going on over us. And this is an opportunity for God to speak a blessing over you and over your life. So brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may God bless you. May he keep you. May he turn his face, may he shine his face on you and bless you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. God bless you all.